I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Now, before we begin, I have some live dates to announce. So, whatever device you use to access your calendar, access it now because I have a couple of dates for you. All right, here we go. On March 7th, I'll be in conversation with author Taylor Jenkins Reed about her new book, Daisy Jones and the Six. It's a rock and roll novel about a band in the 70s that breaks up at the height of their fame, and no one knows why. Until now. Now, just like on The Office, where people are being interviewed but you don't hear the questions, that's how this book is told. It's a series of interviews with the members of the band, and every member of the band has a different take about what went on. At the center of all this is guitar player Billy Dunn, who's like Lindsey Buckingham, and singer Daisy Jones, who's like Stevie Nicks. And their memories are both very different as well. The book is like Fleetwood Mac meets Rashomon, and it's awesome. This is all happening March 7th at 7 p.m. in Oakland at the Indie Bookstore, a great good place for books. I'll be chatting with Taylor for about an hour or so, and then we'll do a Q&A with the audience, and then we'll all drink wine out of plastic glasses. What could go wrong? Then on March 15th at 7 p.m., I'll be at the Montclair Presbyterian Church in Oakland interviewing U.S. Congresswoman Jackie Speer. We'll be in conversation about her new book, Undaunted, in which she describes surviving the airport firefight in Guyana with Jim Jones's henchmen, her political career, and staying strong in a world that sometimes makes you feel weak. Again, that's March 15th at 7 p.m. at the Montclair Presbyterian Church in Oakland. Now, both of these events are free. But if you want to support this local indie bookstore, and it's a great one, just buy a couple of books when you get there. The authors will sign them, and everybody goes home happy. And I think I can safely say we all want to go home happy. All right, let's start the show. It's Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. of the kooks featuring my guest today on the program hugh harris let me tell you a little bit about hugh harris and the kooks hugh harris was born in brighton in july of 1987 just two days before guns and roses released appetite for destruction but as it turned out harris would have much more in common with a record that came out one month later than gnr's instant classic that album was debbie gibson's debut out of the blue. 
Now, I know, I know, Hugh Harris has nothing to do stylistically with the bubblegum pop of Debbie Gibson, but the two had one thing in common. They both put their first record out at age 17. Let me back it up here just a bit. The nucleus of the Kooks began at the Brit School for Performing Arts and Technology, located in the London borough of Croydon, a school whose mission statement is to provide education and vocational training for the performing arts. The school is funded by the British government and has support from the British Record Industry Trust. Alums, you ask? Well, let me throw a few at you. Amy Winehouse, Adele, and Jesse J. So, yeah, whatever they're doing at that school, it's working. Anyway, three of the future members of the Kooks, including Harris and singer Luke Pritchard, met there. In 2002, they moved on to the British and Irish Modern Music Institute, And once grounded at that college, somewhere around 2004, they decided to start a band. Named after the Bowie song, they called themselves the Kooks. They had originally formed under Pritchard's pretense that it would just be for a school project, but they gelled so fast it was clear this was going beyond school stuff. Soon they had a demo of songs that they sent out in search of gigs, but like a carrier pigeon returning with a sack of gold, the band were met with managers and record labels, all wanting them to ink a deal. And ink a deal they did. The Kooks were together just four months when they signed with Virgin. And when their first album, Inside In, Inside Out, hit shelves in 2005, they were just 17 years old. You know, like Debbie Gibson. And like Debbie Gibson, they hit pretty immediately. In spite of being released the same day as the attention-grabbing Arctic Monkeys debut, the Kooks' own debut was a smash. It hit number two in the UK, and it went platinum there, Australia, and Ireland. And along the way, the band nabbed the MTV Europe Music Award for Best UK and Ireland Act, plus they got a Brit Award nomination for the catchy single, She Moves in Her Own Way. Which, by the way, is a song I hear pretty much every time I go to Whole Foods. Two years later, in 2008, the Kooks were back with their sophomore album, Conk, which debuted at number one and went gold immediately in the UK and Ireland. Now, at this point, singer Luke Pritchard was on a creative tear, having written close to 100 songs for the Conk record. And he chose the right ones because the album yielded three massive hits, including Always Where I Need to Be, which, in addition to being a big hit in the UK, also went top 30 in the US on the alternative chart. Moving rapidly through the Kooks discography, Junk of the Heart came out in 2011, and it was followed by the Listen album, which hit three years later in 2014. Now, Junk of the Heart went top 10, but Listen kind of failed to connect as well as their previous records, and critics gave it a rough time, and it was considered a commercial disappointment. Which brings us to 2018's Let's Go Sunshine, which marked the Kooks' longest period between albums. Sure, it took four years to make, and it was the band's first effort not on a major label, but the album returned the Kooks to their winning ways, hitting number 9 in the UK and number 24 in the US on the Billboard Indie Chart. Admittedly, the Kooks have cycled through a lot of members in their 15 years together, And though they're down to a solid power trio format now, the nucleus of the band has always been Luke Pritchard and Hugh Harris. And in spite of the changes in their personnel, the Kooks have remained one of the most popular and potent live acts on the planet. 
Falling somewhere between the Britpop of Oasis and the spry acoustic stomp of the Laws, the Kooks are always an engaging listen. Okay, so there's my expurgated history of the Kooks. Now let me tell you what was supposed to happen, and let me tell you what actually did happen. When the Kooks got booked for the show, the publicist told me, all right, you're talking to Luke Pritchard. He's the singer. I'll give you 30 minutes. And I was like, great. Now, even though I'm a very big Kooks fan, I thought it was probably wise to read up a bit about Luke Pritchard. So I did. And there's a lot of stuff out there about him. And some of it's kind of tabloidy, like his romances with Suki Waterhouse and Misha Barton. And some of it's not. In fact, one of the things that really interested me was something he said about the Kooks having signed a record deal too young. He thought maybe that was a mistake. Now, like all these interviews, I had no idea where it was going to go or what I was going to bring up. So these are just things I researched that were interesting. But all I knew for sure was Luke Pritchard and I were going to break it down, and I was down with that. I was totally ready. So I called, and uh, I guess the manager answered, and I said, uh, hey, it's Alex Green. He said, great, let me get you Hugh. And I was like, awesome. I'm pretty sure he said Luke. It sounded like Hugh. Maybe Hugh is Luke's nickname. Or maybe he said it so fast, it sounded like Hugh, but it was probably Luke. Now, I'm a big enough Kooks fan to know that Hugh Harris is the guitar player, and I thought, what are the chances I'm not talking to Luke, I'm talking to Hugh? And on the phone, a voice says, Hi, this is Hugh. And so all my Luke Pritchard preparation went out the window and my conversation with Hugh Harris began. And that's what you're about to hear. I was totally down for it. I just didn't know I was doing it. So, me and Hugh Harris having a chat I didn't know was going to happen. And frankly, I'm not even sure he knew it was going to happen. But we made it happen. And I thought it went pretty well. So, enjoy this conversation with me and Hugh Harris of the Kooks right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. Sorry, I just walked past a seminar, <laughs> um, a really quiet, intimate seminar. I'm actually not in the Bay Area anymore. I'm in, I'm in Los Angeles. We drove to L.A. overnight from Oakland. I was, uh, I was looking over your itinerary, and I started to get tired. I thought, how are these guys keeping up the energy? This is a long tour. Yeah, mate, it is quite a long tour. But um, we've been doing it since... Um, I mean, I was 16 when we first started touring, so I don't really know any different. I've, I've been institutionalized. <laughs> <laughs> this way of life. I'm nomadic. I, it's in my blood. It's in my DNA now. Do you anticipate a time where that gets, for you, that gets tiresome? It, you know, I remember, um, hmm. you know, the idea of travel as a journalist for me in my 20s was, that was exciting. But as soon as I hit my 30s, yeah. I went, I'm awfully tired right i mean it depends on how you travel i think these days we're, we're certainly more um kind of okay with spending a little extra money on things like having a nice bus and like um you know just things that make the nomadic lifestyle a little more luxurious a little easier um but no i don't think i'll ever get tired of um the thrill of waking up in a new city, you know, every day. That's, that's living the dream. I mean, that's 
precisely why I kind of got into this. I think the, the travel was, um, was, you know, just as appealing as, as the play music. How are you with with like new cities? So I, I'm an author. I don't I don't tour even a one percent of what you guys do. But every time I get to a new yeah. city, I always think this is where my life is going to begin. This is the city where I'm gonna <laughs> where I'm gonna make I things happen. Too. You know what I'm talking about? I completely get that too. Every time I go to a new city, I'm like, okay, I, I'm I, I'm moving here. That's it. I'm gonna yeah. go home. <laughs> I'm gonna pack up my house and I'm gonna come back to Sydney and live here, or I'm gonna come back to Tijuana and live here, or I'm gonna come back to Reykjavik and live here, or I'm gonna <laughs> every city I go to, I fall in love with, and it's so fickle of me, but I just. I just get it's maybe it's not the cities themselves. Maybe it's just the escapism. I don't know. Maybe it's just that kind of um, the fresh start that, that's so um, appealing. Yeah, and there's a certain level of optimism where you go, okay, if I just move here to Tijuana, everything is going to make sense in my life. Yeah, big time, big time. That's so true because you there's something about. Um, I think, like, airplane travel, I get very emotional on airplanes. I always cry during films on airplanes. And I think it's just like, it's just like you, you are confronted with yourself finally on an airplane. And you're, you're always leaving something behind. And that, that brings an advanced perspective. And, and then you land in a new place and it's just that it kind of, you fall in love and you get that kind of honeymoon period. Um, and the whole package is just like, it's a very romantic thing to do. Traveling is just like, innately romantic. Yeah, that's very true. I know. I, I it's funny because like you're on an airplane and you're watching Aquaman and you're like, why am I crying during Aquaman? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, Aqua. I mean, come on. <laughs> you, it turns you literally into Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean, though. There, there is a kind of. I think it's all about context, though. Is what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it depends. For you, in terms of. Um, your relationship to your instrument. Um, how has that changed from when you were 16? Are you, are you as disciplined? Mm -hmm. Are you more disciplined? And how do you approach the instrument now in a way that lets you evolve artistically? That's yeah, a really good question. I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm very much freer now. I think, um, I think that, w that when, when I first started, it was just a kind of playing the guitar was, um, a series of joining the dots of various things, melodies and ideas that I had mutated from other people or kind of stitched together in a kind of patchwork quilt of um, you know, some form of uh, kind of Frankenstein solo. But I think these days I, I'm much more fluid. And I think if I, these days, because I can kind of react, I, I have the kind of um, the muscle memory in my fingers to react to, any melody that I hear in my head, then, then I, it's much more fluid and I feel I'm much more inventive now. And also, I don't really like the sound of guitars. I don't really like the kind of classic rock thing anymore. I think people kind of, you move naturally away from that because it, it is so incredibly um, done, um, which is great because it's an awesome thing. But um, yeah, I think there comes a point in any guitarist's life when you start seeking out slightly more abstract and um, um, interesting uh, sounds and um, melodies that, that, can, that can come from it. Now, the guy that I think about who did that really well is someone like Johnny Greenwood. Um, who, oh, yeah. Right? Like, he was fairly conventional 
on those first two records, and then he got really innovative. Um, I'm big time. Right? And so my question to you is how do you evolve and then bring that to the kooks? Like how do you take that evolution and insert it into what the band is doing? It, it, it just need, it needs space. It needs a huge amount of space. I mean, uh, for me, like at the the heart of any decent guitar line is, is the idea that it's it's singable, that you can actually sing it with a voice and it, and it can be a vocal melody. That is, um, to me, the most important first and foremost thing. And then, and then it's just about kind of um, taking that to uh, an, another level and, and having the space and being given the confidence by everyone else around you to kind of take it where you need to take it. Um, it's tricky though. I mean, with the Kooks, because you know, there's 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 constantly that balance of, um, you know, I'm kind of, well, one person will be wanting to kind of pull it in a certain direction in a more abstract place, and then, you know, the four of us, we all have different ideas of what um, the song should be, and then it ends up being some kind of mutated version of all of our ideas, and so that's the kind of beauty of it, and where it lands. Is somewhere, yeah, somewhere in between where we all meet musically, which is essentially kind of pop music, which is why we're a pop band, I guess. When you were when you were younger, were you the kind of guy who would basically lock himself in his bedroom and and practice for ten hours? No, dude, no. <laughs> really? <laughs> Absolutely not. No, man. No, I. I mean, I, I. Maybe when I was like really young, I. I was um. I never really like practiced like that. Te- technique or anything crazy like that i went i went to a, a kind of a music school and uh, and it's a performing arts school and then after that i went to an actual kind of um almost like a guitar school um in brighton in england and people sat with their guitars on their laps doing scales and it was almost like some kind of um it's, you know, we're all kind of playing in time to this metronome. Like it's like watching some kind of fascist army duck walk across. <laughs> you know, do you know what I mean? That, that kind of regimented uniform kind of. But you know, like thirty kids in a classroom doing that. I mean, that just I fucking hated that shit. You know, I I was never about technique. I only really cared about melody. That was my thing. And melody comes when you don't when you don't squeeze it, you know? The best guitar lines come when you don't spend ages with a guitar, when you actually want to go to write, you know? That's when you have a full tank. I think when, if you spend all your days like practicing, 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 you just, you just rinse yourself and you squeeze the tank and it's, um, yeah, it's not conducive for, for, for melody, I think. You recognize that pretty young and you sort of, you realized that was not the path you were going to take. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely. I did not want to be like a super duper technolog- technolog- kind of technical player. I wanted to be spiritual and emotional and melodic, like um, like Bunny Whaler would play, you know, melody, um, with great technique as well. But, it, you know, you, you don't get loads of kids at, like, guitar school, like, trying to be Bunny Whaler or even, like... Um, Mick Ronson because they're, they're or even like, I mean I guess Richie Sambora he's quite melodic you know you can sing most of his solos um, and, and he's got you know the, the kind of technical side as well but um, yeah I guess from a young age yeah you could say that yeah I just wanted to kind of be against you know fuck that you know be against the kind of um, 
the, the past play and the crazy needling.
actually really cool that you name check Richie Sambora, and you can you can actually see the you know the the um, the gift that he brings on both sides of the of the spectrum. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, he's he's. I think that's where he meets. That's where it meets is the the kind of um, like rock god, and but with melody. Like I mean, I guess it's John Frusciante as well, you know in a sense, but, you know, he doesn't kind of do the kind of crazy technical stuff as much. But, yeah, he's um, definitely a genius. What was your take on someone like Johnny Marr? Yeah, amazing as well. Yeah, fucking beautiful, melodic, um, jangly, and completely charismatic. I don't like that he kind of attaches himself to bands. I think that's a bit weird. I think Modest Mouse already already had quite a, quite a genius guitar player. And then it's like... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I was a guitar player in Modest Mouse, I'd be like, oh, okay. Let's <laughs> just get Johnny Marr in then. Fuck it. <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know how I'd feel if that were me, because right? I think I really rate him, that guy, whoever he is. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, suddenly he was in The The and The Talking Heads and The Pretenders, and I thought, those bands were doing okay. Yeah, they don't need you. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, what is this? Where's the payoff? Like, what's the, what's the exchange here? It's interesting to me because I think that, like with the Smiths, I think that that Johnny Marr's guitar playing made Morrissey a better a better singer. I think they kind of helped each other out, really. I don't think they're I don't think they're as good without without the sum of the parts. I don't think they're as good without each other. Do you find that when you are working on stuff that whether it's experimental or not, are you always kind of keeping Luke in mind? Um, no, no, I probably should should do more. Um, <laughs> no, I, I I pretty much take it to wherever I I feel it should be. Um, I'm pretty I'm pretty gun ho like that. I don't I don't really think about other. I mean that's 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 the beauty of an idea is that you can get carried away with it and lost in it. I know that you've been in this business now for over 15 years, and I'm wondering how do you continue to challenge yourself on the guitar. How do you continue to push yourself with your instrument? I stopped playing it. I don't play it anymore. I push myself in other places. I, I've been in Cuba recording horns for a solo record. I've been working with gospel choirs in London and strings and orchestras and just looking elsewhere for inspiration. I think the guitar is quite limiting, really, in, in, its, in its sound and um, the arrangements that you can create with it. Um, so I kind of... Um, yeah, just looking to other corners of, of um, the orchestra of, of instrumentation. How how are you finding that? How's that going? Yeah, it's good. I've just finished a record, actually. Um, did some, um, like I said, I went out to Havana and I like, found some genius um, horn players and um, recorded them in an old church and just a few songs of mine. And um, yeah, it's, it's pretty much done. So that's going to come out soon. And did you get to Havana and say, oh, my God, this is where I have to live? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly the same. Yeah. Uh, dude, it's everywhere. Everywhere I go. Swansea. Yeah. Fresno. Yeah. This travel thing that you and I have, Hugh, I think it makes us the weird ones. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite. Yeah, it's not commonplace, is it, in people? A lot of people get homesick when they 
when they find a new place. But I, I get very attracted to the allure of uh, that fresh, that freshness. Yeah. I do want to ask you just a little bit about your solo record, if you don't mind, just a little bit. I'm just kind of curious mm-hmm. to know is it is it constructed of stuff that you wouldn't that you just didn't think was right for the Kooks, and you thought this is just stuff. Oh I'm yeah, gonna... yeah, absolutely. I mean, even a couple of the songs we tried as um, the Kooks, that, and and it didn't work, or I I didn't think it worked. Um, and so I kind of pulled the plug a little bit on it, but I'm I'm a bit stubborn. I, I can be quite stubborn, as I've discovered lots of musicians can. Um, and I just kind of had a sound already in my head, and it just wasn't quite hitting that. And so um, so we abandoned it sadly. But but I, I don't regret that. You know, we gave it a good go. The idea to go to Havana that's all very specific so did that come to you as sort of the natural place to go to record those elements well I wanted a horn solo on one song and my producer was like well um, you're going on holiday to Cuba why don't you just like try and find someone out there that's where that's the home of, of that sound and so I did and I and I went out and it's uh, kind of scouted a few jazz clubs and found this guy that I really liked, saw him play a couple of times and he ended up playing on every song basically. <laughs> so um it then became pretty much like a kind of fusion record with um with Yasek on he's called Yasek Manzano with him with him playing on it. So it wasn't really I mean most of the things that came about on this record were, were happy accidents. And is that a record that you've been sort of carrying around with you as an idea for a long time? It's your first solo album. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, it's been um, on the back burner. I've just been chipping away at it, which has kind of given me the power of hindsight, you know, and I haven't really had a deadline to finish it, so I've just been kind of going going at it as I go. Yeah. That's really cool. I didn't know that was happening. That's a really good, <laughs> cool piece of news. <laughs> awesome, yeah. Nice one. Yeah. Scoop. <laughs> no. In in terms of you trying, you know, playing around with other instruments, how, what are you finding that you're most attracted to? Like, what what direction are you heading? Um, I don't know. Every direction, many directions at once. But there there really isn't one clear direction. It's it's just like um, it's a bit like um, scrambled eggs, you know. <laughs> I've <don't> <laughs> <laughs> just broken the egg, and I'm in the frying pan, and it's just going everywhere, and I don't know. It's thrilling. I'm loving it. I'm really, really loving it. There's, there's definitely. I mean, one of the rules I had was I, there was directions that I, I disallowed myself to go in, which is indie and rock, and there's no guitar solos on it. I mean, there's a bit of, bit of solo in, but not no like big creepy style guitar solos. That was my one rule. And was that rule because you knew that that was too comfortable? Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's pointless. I think you have to challenge yourself if you're going to do something of interest to anyone um and it has to be unexpected i think you know to to me i i wouldn't want to hear something i expect from from someone like me i think that would be very predictable and i don't think that that really is of interest so um that might be a bit harsh on myself but still um that's just uh that's how i feel about it yeah in your own artistic evolution um what has surprised you the most In in other words what element has has emerged that has been most surprising to you artistically? <clears throat> and, <clears throat> um, what element has emerged as being most surprising? Um, wow, that's a really profound question. Um, 
I think I've been surprised at just what <laughs> what I'm fucking capable of. Just when I, if I if, if given free reign on a record, I mean, that's one thing I've just really been surprised at is is how liberating it can be to just um, you know record as a solo artist and not kind of have to canvas for support um, when I have an idea in the studio, you know, because when you work in a group, it's just like you have to obviously sell the idea to everybody before it makes it to, you know, even being recorded. And so, but with me, it's just like, yeah, fuck it, I've got this idea, let's just go in and do it. So it works great, if it doesn't, it doesn't. And I think what's been surprising is just, you know, that the amount of kind of um, belief and trust I've, 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 I've learned to, to give myself. And uh, that's been, that's been empowering. It's been, it's been freaking cool. Yeah, well, it's sort of like the absence of democracy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Which I would never be um, celebrating in, in any other situation other than this. No, only in art do we celebrate the absence of democracy. There we go. There's a headline. There's the, <laughs> that's the, um, that's the title piece. So, I mean, but you are, you're your own boss. So basically you have to clear it with yourself and that, and that's basically it. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm much more critical of my own ideas than I am of other people's even because I think, you know, to be as critical of other people's ideas as I am of mine would just be damn right rude and quite, quite mean and you wouldn't get anywhere. Now, if I had to title that episode, I would title it Richie Sambora and the Absence of Democracy. I think that's a fitting title. Didn't see the Richie Sambora thing coming. Uh, I also didn't see the Hugh Harris thing coming. But I think we figured it out, and I think it was a good interview. It was short and tight, uh, but I think it was good. Oh, I'll track down Luke Pritchard one day, uh, but for now, Hugh Harris will do. Uh, I like that guy. And uh, I like chatting with them. Now, the Kooks, you can find them online at thekooks.com. Go to their website, find out where they're playing, buy their music, uh, send them nice messages. As for me, you can find me online as well, alexgreenonline.com. You can also find me on Twitter, at Ember's Editor. You can find me on Instagram, at Ember's Podcast. And if you want to email me the old-fashioned way, editor at stereoembersmagazine.com should do the trick. And hey, if you're on iTunes... Why not subscribe to the show? And since you're there, subscribe to Bombshell Radio. And since you're there, maybe even leave us a couple of comments. A rating goes a long way in these times. All right, let's close things off with a brand new one from the Kooks. This is Believe. Thank you for tuning in. And I will see you next week for another episode of Stereo Embers, the podcast.
Until I let her know I'm not a